You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up, we'll preview what to expect from Meta's Connect as analysts watch for the company's generative AI and VR plans. Plus, we'll have more reaction to the FTC's landmark antitrust suit against Amazon and hear from Chair Lena Khan herself. And as Sam Altman's OpenAI seeks up to a $90 billion valuation, we'll discuss the state of AI, the regulation of it, with the co-chair of the UK government's AI review. All that and so much more coming up. But first, we check in on these markets, which are macro-dictated. We're flip-flopping between gains and losses on the Nasdaq at the moment, currently underwater by two-tenths percent. It seems to be being moved by this particular market, the bond market. We're seeing yields back up four basis points. Look, we're at sort of decade-long highs at the moment, 4.57 on the 10-year at the moment. We're seeing above 5% on a two-year. We're worried about the direction of travel for the Federal Reserve and, indeed, a potential government shutdown here in the United States. Interesting, though, that we see the dollar, of course, still pushing higher. Is that as we expect the Fed to have to push back on currently where some of the inflationary pressures have been? We're seeing the Bloomberg dollar index up for a sixth straight day, longest winning streak that we've seen since the beginning of the year. Let's move it on and see that actually in the face of a stronger dollar, Bitcoin higher, up five tenths of percent. We saw a sudden bout of buying in European trading. So actually managing to tread some water here, Ed. But get back to the micro that's involved today. Yeah, there's kind of some themes in the show from sort of consumer electronics to augmented reality playing out in the news cycle markets as well. So Snap up 2.3%. They're shuttering the, the unit of their business that does augmented reality for enterprise. 170 jobs going with that, jobs being cut as well. It's kind of... A question about the long-term commitment of Snap to augmented reality. Later in the show, we will talk to our Bloomberg intelligence analyst about that. Consumer electronics hardware, Peloton now down nine-tenths of one percent. Tom Cortese, the the last remaining founder of Peloton, is leaving the company. So of the five that started the company, he was the last domino to fall. He has left but will remain on as an advisor. The stock kind of traded sideways for most of the session. It is now down. The big one, as you said, is Meta Connect. Meta Connect is the company's 
annual developers conference. And when we think about developers conferences, we do think software, but there's going to be a big hardware component. We know that Quest, the next generation of, will be a topic of conversation. Of course, alongside AI, we are treading water on Meta, the parent of Facebook, up a tenth of 1%. How much focus is going to be on the software side? How much focus is going to be on the latest generation of hardware? Metaverse versus artificial intelligence, what is the priority? These are the great questions we have to ask. And indeed, the ones that we've been asking day in, day out, in fact, with executives of Meta. Of course, last week, I got to sit down with the head of global affairs to discuss how the company is utilizing generative AI. Just take a listen. We're announcing next Wednesday on the 27th new applications of generative AI in our products, things like you know, business, you'll be able to communicate with businesses on WhatsApp and Messenger, these sort of really, really extraordinary AI-powered bots. That, that will transform the way that all of us as consumers interact with businesses and many other things that we'll announce next Wednesday. Let's weigh up what investors want to hear. Jeffrey, senior internet analyst, is with us. Brent Thill, ahead of the all-important MetaConnect. And Brent, to that end, how much do you want to be hearing about generative AI? How much do you want to be hearing about chatbots, about therefore the desire of people, younger generation in particular, to remain committed to Instagram, to Messenger, to the other offerings? I think AI is front and center for every tech company, uh, Google, Amazon, uh, the whole industry. This is this is the, the the majority of the topics that we're having with our investors. So I think that's what investors want to hear. Obviously, it's software. Uh, they don't love the hardware side of this, so they'd like to hear more about this than than the Quest and the hardware side. Which again, I think most investors are skeptical uh, about. Obviously, a more expensive endeavor, uh, higher margin building software and AI than than hardware. So I think we want to hear more around that. Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, you know, did a, a story yesterday on his Instagram about Jarvis. Uh, back in 2016, he, he showed Jarvis was his AI bot at his house that could turn on the lights and, and uh, do things like make his toast at home, right? So that was back in 2016, and he kind of re, re-posted that. Uh, so we, we believe, you know, this concept of Jarvis for the home comes to the, the mass market in, in AI. Obviously, Microsoft and Google are, are doing this meta uh, also has an incredible opportunity given given what they have with WhatsApp Messenger and the, the global platforms that they have that can help us, you know, find the right goods we want, help help surface ideas, uh, maybe pass along photos or other ideas to our friends. Uh, so I think this is going to be, uh, for us, the most exciting part of it. Uh, I think the, the sideshow will be, you know, Meta uh, Quest 3 and the price point everyone's on. All below that of of the Vision Pro at $3,500. So the differentiation there and what's going to happen in the next generation of the metaverse. Uh, Brent, Meta is building large language models, a heavy emphasis on open source when developing that technology. And it's kind of hinted at how that translates to generative AI tools in their existing properties, right? I think we're focusing on AI agents. Do you see a clear path to Meta ever making any money from all of the things that they are working on the R&D side? We do. They've been very clear they're not making money now or don't believe that uh, this will be a big revenue initiative in, in the short term. Long term, we do believe that they can make money on, on Llama. And they're obviously an, a consumer-focused company, not as much enterprise. And so this is you know, going to take them time to figure this out. But we think given the quality of the feedback from the channel about Llama and how they're using it, how they're... The, the, the open source community loving what, what they're doing, uh, there's no doubt there's an opportunity to monetize it. This, this isn't in the numbers. 
uh, this isn't in the valuation uh, today. So two, three, four years from now, could this could we have a discussion around, you know, is this going to be a material revenue engine where they could they could potentially license this model to companies to use and they would get a royalty for for it? The answer is yes, 100 percent. What the details look like, they're still trying to iron those out. Those aren't in our model, but certainly uh, we do believe that they can monetize it going forward. Uh, Brent, quickly, it sounds to me like you're not that excited about <laughs> augmented and virtual reality. Is, is that fair? Yes, that's fair. Okay, We're not. Okay, Wait, here's the thing, that it's either a metaverse story or it's an AI story. Do you see a world in which meta can convince investors that, that we can have both? I think we can have both, uh, but I think that is the less they've talked about the metaverse, the higher the stock has gone. So from an investor perspective, they, if they keep talking about the software world and what's going on in the social networking side, that's great. This is an advertising-driven story, right? The majority of the revenue is driven off of advertising. So at this point, I think everyone, the jury is out, whether the metaverse is going to be exciting or not. I think most people are saying it's not going to be as exciting. Mm. And AI is taking the hype because there's real-world productivity measures that we can see and how it's impacting our lives. Like putting a headset on and being claustrophobic and playing a game with my kids for 10 minutes is not going to change my life, right? So I'm, I think right now we're we're not we're we're probably the biggest bear on the metaverse. Yeah. Uh, we're very bullish about the position and what they can do with with the other side of 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 their franchise, and so we're 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 very clear about what we like, and we don't like. Interestingly, many an executive is trying to lean into what investors and analysts such as yourself like. And look, we had Adam Slipsky on earlier in the week just talking about how generative AI is becoming such a focus for AWS. On the flip side of all of this is the regulatory environment. And look, Amazon, Meta, all of them being eyed from regulators, in particular the FTC. We just heard yesterday, of course, Amazon under fire there. What are you making of this landscape? How do you expect the FTC, some of these legal wranglings to unfold for Amazon, for example? Example, Brent. The government has been trying to tackle big tech for a long time, and we've said this: that the government, the government or, or, oversight is the right thing to help protect all of us as consumers. But that big tech it, it is being big is not bad, right? Being bad is bad. So as long as they find a middle ground, we've said this repeatedly: investors, anytime a regulatory scare comes in, you buy these stocks. Just look at the charts of Meta. Google, Amazon, over over the course of the last five years, any any regulatory scare, these need these names need to be bought. Clearly, uh, there's been multiple attempts for the government to to take down tech. It hasn't happened. They find a way out. Stocks recover. Investors make money. So I, I'm all for regulation and doing the right thing to protect all of us. But I think what's yeah. happened is they've overstepped their boundaries and they've gone after things that that they don't necessarily have good footing or educated on. And then that's caused the problems. Um, so I think ultimately these are these are companies that have uh, uh, it, it, both one and end end goal. And I both think I think they can meet in the middle. And we've said this repeatedly: like any regulatory scare in the internet has not really done anything to these stocks. Just pull up the chart of Google over the last five years, and you can just see it's an amazing up into the right chart. So uh, respect it, believe in it. Um, don't believe they're going to have a, a yeah. massive consequence yeah. to yeah. these core businesses. Yeah.
Uh, Brent, when you outlined that 10 minutes with an AR VR headset playing with your kids at the weekend wouldn't change your life, there were parents in the San Francisco studio team here that, tick that tickled them a lot. I think they probably share that view of you. Jeffrey, senior internet analyst, Brent Till, thank you very much. Uh, sticking with devices, Amazon has lured away longtime Microsoft executive Panos Panay to head the company's devices and services business after devices chief Dave Limp announced his plans to retire. He most recently was Microsoft's chief product officer, overseeing Windows as well as the company's hardware teams. And of course, Dave Limp off to head up Blue Origin, Cara. Lots of revolving doors. FTC Chair Lena Khan is seeking to end what she calls Amazon's illegal conduct, but didn't go as far as to call for a breakup of Amazon. We sat down with her at our Bloomberg office in Washington, D.C. This is the conversation. Have a listen. This is a case about a set of unlawful tactics that Amazon has used to maintain its monopolies. Um, we note in the complaint both a set of anti-discounting tactics that Amazon uses to punish any seller or retailer that dares to discount, and ultimately these sets of tactics deter sellers and retailers from lowering prices and closes off an entire dimension of price competition. The other set of tactics we note is a coercive scheme that Amazon uses to effectively require sellers use its fulfillment service. Um, and this in turn ends up stunting the development of independent fulfillment providers and ultimately also deprives actual and potential rivals of scale. And that's really the core theme here. Um, these are a set of tactics, but ultimately Amazon has pursued them to deprive actual and potential competitors of the ab ability to gain the scale and momentum needed to effectively compete online. And having achieved and protected its monopoly power, our complaint details how Amazon is now exploiting that monopoly power in ways that harm customers, both the sellers, the tens of millions of American families that use Amazon to do their shopping, but also the, um, uh, sorry, the, both the shoppers, but also the sellers, the, the hundreds of thousands, the tens of thousands of, of sellers that use Amazon to access uh, those shoppers. And it's done that through actively raising prices. Uh, Amazon takes close to one out of every $2 from sellers that, that use its platform. Uh, it's also degraded its service by adding a whole set of pay-to-play ads that make it more difficult for consumers to find what they're looking for and steers them to higher price products. So uh, really encourage everybody to, to read the complaint. It details all of this conduct in great detail, and we're really looking forward to moving forward with it. So one of the things in the complaint is this phrase stru structural relief, that you're seeking structural relief in this case, which implies a breakup. What would that look like? So at this stage, the complaint is really focused on the issue of liability. Uh, we lay out a scheme that we believe violates the U.S. antitrust laws. Uh, what we note in the complaint is that these different aspects of Amazon's scheme have an aggregated effect. So the harm is accumulating. There are feedback loops between the harms. And so the net exclusionary effect of Amazon's conduct is quite significant. Um, ultimately, we'll want to make sure that any remedy is halting the illegal conduct, preventing a recurrence, and ensuring that Amazon is not able to profit and benefit from its illegal behavior. So right now, we're squarely focused on the question of liability. But uh, when we get to the issue of remedy, those are going to be the principles we'll be focused on.
FTC Chair Lena Khan there. And look, Amazon has responded to this lawsuit with the company's global counsel writing that if the FTC were to be successful, the result would be actually anti-competitive, anti-consumer. Let's dig into all of this with Charlotte Slayman, Competition Policy Director of Policy at Public Knowledge. And also, you previously worked in the Anti-Competitive Practices Division of the FTC, investigating, litigating. And Charlotte, if you were there now, how much confidence would you have that this would be a winnable action? I think there's a reason that the antitrust attorneys at the FTC try not to answer those kinds of questions. It's, it's really hard to say at this early stage. Um, but I think they feel confident, right? I watched that interview with Lena Khan yesterday. Um, and it's so important to highlight this problem for people. Mm. It seems clear, even though Amazon has built their reputation on having the best prices, that that didn't come from being a really efficient um, competitor. It came came from pushing those third-party sellers to raise prices everywhere else. That's not fair competition, and if that's what's going on, it needs to stop. Charlotte, what's interesting is sort of investor and analyst reaction to all of this. And one particular analyst saying that this is a benign scenario for Amazon over at Baird. And in fact, they said that they were surprised the narrowness of the overall case, saying that there isn't sort of a reference to disallowing vertical integration. Do you think the outcome should be some sort of breakup or, or has it got to be something else? So certainly I think stopping the conduct is not going to be sufficient. Um, this has been going on for a long time, and replacing the competition that has been lost is really difficult. Um, so step one is going to be to stop the conduct, but more will be needed. Um, and I heard Chair Khan yesterday sort of demurring that this is going to be a decision that happens far in the future, and that's absolutely right. The, the remedy stage of litigation is, is later and separate. Um, but it may be that, you know, separating off the fulfilled by Amazon um, part of the business is the only way to address that lost competition, um, in which case the court would have to take that seriously. Uh, Charlotte, some news in the last hour. The FTC has issued an order saying that it will continue its internal case against Activision and Microsoft's deal that when that deal closes, they could then, after the fact, try to unwind it. This is what Activision had to say in response uh, via a spokesperson. We're focused on working with Microsoft toward closing. How the FTC uses limited taxpayer dollars is its decision. Given your CV that, that Caroline outlined, what is your response to this situation? Well, they're drawing on an important point, which is that the FTC has limited resources, and there are so many important cases that we want them to bring with those limited resources. But this case against Microsoft and Activision is a really important case. Um, so if they think that that uh, has the opportunity to help so many consumers, as I believe it would, um, that might be an important priority to, to spend those limited resources. But they're absolutely right. We do need to increase funding for these agencies so that they can take on all of these important cases. Charlotte, quickly, is Lena Khan picking too many fights? 
No, we need to pick these fights. And she spoke yesterday about the deterrence strategy, which can make this um, more efficient use of resources, right? If uh, businesses out there can see this is not going to be an opportunity for you to try something um, risky because there is a really fierce enforcer here, um, that can actually be a way of saving resources. So I think that's part of the strategy, and that can work over time. Charlotte Slayman, Competition Policy Director at Public Knowledge. Thank you so much for your time. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Time now for work shifting, where we look at the changing landscape of the labor market amid advances in technology. Big breakthrough overnight for Hollywood. The Writers Guild of America approved a new contract with the studios, ending its strike after months of intense negotiations. Now, one of the biggest wins in the deal is some assurance that artificial intelligence, well, won't replace their jobs. Bloomberg's Felix Gillette is here with us with more details. And before we move to what's next to occur in all of this, AI, how have they won any sort of protection here? Well, they got what they wanted, basically, which is that the Hollywood studios agreed that they're not going to you know, feed a bunch of uh, scripts into the AI machine and come back and mm. credit a movie to an AI. That you know, The humans are still going to get credit, um, and that was what was really important. Now, the studios did retain the right to experiment a little bit um, with AI, so you know, it remains to be seen a little bit how this yeah. is going to play out, but for the time being, the writers are declaring victory. And really across therefore to actors because they too particularly perhaps you know the extras that are used were worried about AI replacing them in some way is this an issue yeah I think they had similar concerns and now there's a template for these protections Um, so I think you know there's optimism to believe that the uh, writers having made this pack well now the actors will make some real progress quickly Some of the numbers behind this, Felix, are are incredible. The loss to the economy based on the strike. But the whole point here is that the cost of content's getting higher. Uh, uh, Do the studios feel good about this outcome? 
Their reaction has been notably more muted than the writers. I mean, the writers have been very exuberant, very, you know, declaring victory. Uh, the studios gave up a lot. I think they gave up more than they thought they would have to five months ago um, in terms of compensation, in terms of minimum staffing on shows, uh, and, and also in terms of the AI protections. Okay, so the other thing you're writing about is Lachlan Murdoch. Daddy's gone, uh, metaphorically speaking. What's next? Well, it's interesting. You know, Rupert made this announcement last week. He's stepping back as chairman of the two companies. Um, you know, talking to all the Murdoch Kremlinologists about what this all means, very unclear to everybody. Like, does this change anything? What does this mean? A lot of unanswered questions. I mean, I think clearly it was framed as another vote of confidence by Rupert in his chosen successor, Lachlan, his eldest son. But at the same time, you know, uh, issues of what's going to happen to the company down the road remained fairly unresolved. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they tried to recombine uh, Fox and News Corporation earlier this year. Mm -hmm. Investors balked at that idea. So what comes next? You know, they have been pretty quiet on the M&A front for the yeah. past couple years, uh, really since acquiring Tubi. You know, that looks like a successful deal for them. But they're still basically a minnow in this world of giants. Felix Gillette, it's a great read. Go do it. This is Bloomberg Technology. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. A quick check-in on the markets. There's not a lot of kind of big action at the macro level, at the index level. NASDAQ 100 down three-tenths of one percent. There's still a lot of focus, right, on uh, economic data, what the Federal Reserve will do. And before you know it, Caroline, earnings season will be back. Ah. And we will get four. I know. I just cannot believe it. There are two names that we're looking at uh, specifically right now. Uh, and, and this has been a theme of the show, right? Artificial intelligence and hardware. It is MetaConnect today. The developers conference. We're up three-tenths of one percent. We will go even further later in the show on what we expect, why we do or don't care about the hardware side, and we will focus on the AI side. Microsoft softer four-tenths of one percent. You're about to bring us a story that, that makes this move surprising to me, mm -hmm. because you think about the news flow. Would Microsoft be higher on what you are about to bring our audience? You would have thought so, because on paper, they have made a pretty penny on a $13 billion investment in one company, Ed, OpenAI. We are talking about, of course, the fact that that company, the AI company, is in talking to its investors about a potential share sale that would value it up to $80 to $90 billion. Now, this at the moment, Ed, is all according to the Wall Street Journal reporting sources. But the deal would allow employees, most crucially, to look, sell some of their existing shares, to be able to access some of the monetary value of the work that they've been doing without the company actually having to issue or raise fresh capital. Yeah, this exactly. valuation, extraordinary when you think that actually OpenAI was only just starting in our lexicon at the beginning of this year. Yeah, and when they did issue shares in April, that was at a $29 billion valuation. It's a hell of a jump. Yeah. A big part of the story is employee liquidity, right? There's a yeah. big frustration when you're at a private startup for a decade and you can't sell the, the, your RSUs or your stock. Um, and then did you see the revenue numbers that the journal reported? And that, we indeed. That might be it. Yeah, I mean, the fact that Bloomberg knows that they're going to be what, bringing in about a billion in a year. Yeah. I mean, everyone's been questioning, how do you monetize the generative AI opportunity? Well, clearly, OpenAI 
AI is already doing that. Certainly with enterprise, they're still evolving in terms of multimodal ways in which we can interact with generative AI. It's also notable, though, what I thought was interesting is the fact that, what, they're number three now behind TikTok, but also behind SpaceX. And who was a co-founder of OpenAI? Yeah, very interesting, the wraparound with Mr. Elon Musk, who's doing his own thing now in the yeah. world of AI. <laughs> Let's dive into all of this. Look, an authority in the space, particularly when it comes to the impact of generative AI, maybe regulation of it. Dame Wendy Hall's with us, professor of computer science at the University of Southampton, also is a co-chair of the UK government's AI review published back in 2017. And boy, has the narrative kind of changed, accelerated, Wendy, since 2017. And we've had you on the show before. Just talk about the exuberance that you still see around the space and ultimately whether we're ringing our hands about the opportunity but also the risks enough well we shouldn't wring our hands about the opportunities the opportunities are there there's a hype wave at the moment and i remember the web.com crash i'm just saying that putting it out there um when everyone piled into web companies and the uh, technology wasn't mature enough and we had a crash um the generative AI, people may be buying into it, but it's not proven yet as a, as a thing that business can use. Uh, is it I'm not saying it won't be, but at the moment, uh, um, is it reliable enough? And there's a lot of competition. Um, I, we don't really know what the business models are. They're still to be explored. And so I, I, there's a terrible... I personally wouldn't be buying shares in AI companies at the moment, but then I'm not a stocks and shares person, so I'm not an economist. Um, <laughs> Uh, Wendy, we, we appreciate the perspective. We'll go to commercialization in a second. Today is MetaConnect, and we yep. will hear from the parent company of Facebook what they are doing in the world of artificial intelligence. But broadly, they have stuck to the doctrine of open source development. What is your position on open source development? Well, I'm a typical academic. I love it for the innovation it provides, but I worry about the, the risks and who's responsible. It's the world of responsible AI. If uh, you, you know, who's responsible for the use of that open source and who's responsible for whether it goes to you know, the bad actors or the good actors. And down the line, as we talk about regulation, we have to talk about regulation of open source as well as the regulation of the core generators of the technology. I seem to recall when Meta first announced Llama 2 and Nick Clegg was out there discussing about the, why they're focused on open sourcing. You said, and I think it was you, saying, look, this is potentially like put, giving people the instructions for a nuclear bomb here. Do you still stand by that, that it could be as impactful? And do you think Meta and the rest of the regulatory community are reacting to that? Well, I, yes, I stand by what I said in the sense that it makes people think about what we're doing, right? If the, as they are, the AI companies are saying, we can't explain how this stuff works, but we're putting it out there anyway. You know, we've, I'm not a doomsayer about this. I think generative AI is going to be a profoundly positive technology if used well and responsibly. But lots of people are pulling, you know, Jeffrey Hinton and people have pulled out of it. They're all saying it's dangerous, it's dangerous, we've got to be careful. But then they're giving away the open source versions. It just seems so contradictory in my mind if you think something is so dangerous shouldn't you be making sure very sure about who the people you're giving it to and what they're going to do with it but also what's interesting is an nvidia executive has since left the business haven't been there since 2001 claiming that their biggest concern is the fact that it is being dominated by big tech players and that there isn't enough of the startups being able to come in and other players being able to be at the table do you agree with that narrative i mean we're about to have yet another summit occurring where you are in the uk 
Well, I won't be at the summit, right? The people at the summit, it's at Bletchley Park, which is tiny. There's about 120 seats you can get into the conference room. And the number of countries, divide that by the number of countries attending, uh, there won't be many reps from every country. We mainly diplomats, people from the age, uh, intelligence agencies, because it's all about cybersecurity, national security, and uh, it'll be the tech the tech bros, the people running the tech companies that will be there. There won't be diversity of thought of, of any type there. Um, and um, so I really worry that this whole conversation is being run by the, the tech companies and they're being effectively asked to regulate themselves and, to, and, and they're giving away stuff to, you know, here's the open source guys, you do do this. Who's, where, who's responsible in this food chain? Where is the responsibility? That's what worries me. Well, uh, Wendy, let's talk about the nation. Mm. Well, that's why I want to ask you, though, Wendy, about the nation state level action, right? We had Joe White on the show last week, the UK technology ambassador, and he was telling Caroline and I about all the meetings he's having with the tech companies to secure the compute, the, 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 the chip makers, mm. the hyperscale cloud providers. So I understand your concerns, but do you at least see the UK trying to get itself at a, at a, at a national level in a position of leadership in what is a nascent technology? Yes, of course I do. And a lot of the things they're doing is I, um, I totally applaud. We have to put more money into this. The UK does. I mean, we, we, don't, we are never going to be able to put the amount of money the US and China puts in. The EU's bigger than us. It could put more in. We don't have the companies in Europe, of course. They're all in, in, Washington, in Washington or in Shenzhen in China. And um, so we can only uh, lead by regulating, governing. And I've always said that that's, that's the right thing for us to do because we're good at that sort of stuff. But just at the moment, since ChatGPT came out, everything has flipped in the UK. It's really turned so that it is all about the technology at the moment and, and the safety uh, risks. Um, and it's not about very little about what how you, you know the good things that this can be used for and how it's going to be used by society yes. and involving the wider community in those debates. Uh, Dame That's Wendy Hall, happening. on that note then, no, no, let me ask you then, in your research, what are you most excited about, about artificial intelligence bringing to society? Well, I'm excited about the things that the that AI can do that will give us answers to questions we couldn't possibly work out without it. So, example, in health, everyone talks about health, but the, the breakthroughs are already coming. Um, it will relieve people in the drudgeries of some of the boring jobs, create new jobs. It will help us with solving the big grand challenges of the world, like the climate change and, and energy and food security. And, you know, we'll be able to do things with AI and data we couldn't possibly have done without without it um, and and that's you know it, it's just and it's going to change generative AI is going to change how we do everything it will change how you work how I work how students work you know it will it will be as profound as the introduction of the calculator and the computer back in the 70s right? we will all approach the creation of things differently uh, but it doesn't mean that generative AI is going to wipe us out of existence as it is now so that there's such a hype around the the, 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 the existential threat and the, we've got to, of course, talk about that and global. But, but it's not the immediate threats are, uh, you know, more about misinformation and uh, um, threats to the democratic process. Um, uh, how AI might be used uh, in the campaigns next year, and that and that's the, those are the things that worry me. Dame Wendy Hall, Professor of Computer Science at the University of Southampton. Robust conversation, as always. Thank you. <laughs> okay.
Now, coming up here on Bloomberg Technology, the future of marine transportation. Can the marine transportation industry go electric? We'll talk all about that and more with ARC co-founder Ryan Cook and Eclipse Ventures founder Lior Susan. That's coming up next. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Time for Talking Tech. First up, Canal's planned IPO will be key for gauging demand in Hong Kong's sluggish deals market. Companies have raised just under $3 billion so far in 2023. That's on track for the least since the 1990s. What a stat. Canal, the logistics unit of Alibaba, is expected to raise at least $1 billion. And Binance says it's doing business in Russia as it recognizes that, quote, operating in Russia is not compatible with its compliance strategy. The crypto exchange platform is selling its unit to Comex, a service launched just one day before the deal was announced. Binance and its founder, Changpeng Zhao, have been the subject of regulatory reviews this year in the US. Plus, TikTok shop is dealing with a major setback to its growth in ambitions in Indonesia. Officials implemented a ban that prohibits social commerce companies from facilitating direct e-commerce payments on their platforms. The new policy is aimed at ensuring local e-commerce services, such as Tokopedia, won't be squeezed out. Caroline. Yeah, Ed. Well, now you've got a real focus today in the VC spotlight, right? Where we're going to be talking electric boats, no less. Take it away. Yeah, so two interesting people coming up on the program. First, ARC's co-founder and CTO joins us, Ryan Cook, alongside Lior Susan, one of the partners over at Eclipse. ARC electric boat companies raised $70 million to expand its operations and electrify more of the marine industry. This is like the Tesla playbook to go mass market in boats. So let's bring this conversation in. And Ryan, I want to start with you. You had a limited number, fewer than 20 of these $300,000 battery electric boats. The next gen model is going to come next year, 2024, but we don't know anything about it. So tell us, where do these funds go to develop this next gen model? Yeah, thanks, Ed. Uh, yeah, I mean, these funds really go to us 
expanding production into a more mass market vehicle. Uh, the ARC-1 was limited edition. We completely sold out. Uh, but we really want to focus our attention now on electrifying everything that's on the water, everything that's in the marine industry. Um, there's a lot of gas boats out there, and ARC's mission is to convert all of them to electric. These funds really help us accelerate that mission. We're going to be using it to expand our footprint here in Los Angeles. Uh, and we're going to be using it to, as you mentioned, work on our next more mass market product, uh, which we will unveil more details uh, in the next couple months. Oh, you leave us hanging. But, Lior, on that respect, what is the ultimate total addressable market here from your mind's eye? Why are you so excited to commit more capital here? Yeah, it's uh, great to be here again, Caroline. And um, I think, you know, like many other physical industries, the maritime industries is being here for, I don't know, 5,000 years. Um, it's a gigantic industry of multi-hundreds of billions of dollars that's still being run by generally gas uh, combustion engine. That's all going to change by electrification, with batteries, um, with electronics. You guys mentioned in the previous section, AI. We love seeing AI in the physical industries and the impact in society and climate, and of course, uh, building what we believe will be the next Tesla here with Arc. Hmm. Ryan, we talked about you, you know your CV. You had seven years of engineering at SpaceX. Uh, some of your investors are Tesla alum, some of your staff are Tesla alum, and you seem to be replicating this idea like Tesla started with the Roadster, then the Model S, then the Model 3. Is it fair to say that you're kind of replicating that path forward? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I mean, we really think that's the smartest way to go about doing this. The hardest part about working on a hardware startup is really scaling that production. Starting with something that's a smaller batch build, kind of like the Arc-1, it allows you to learn a lot uh, where the risks are minimized because you have fewer products out there. We can take all of those learnings and honestly move faster as we move into the next product rather than trying to jump straight to something that's mass market. Um, and the other point here is that we've, we're only two and a half years old. We've already sold and delivered uh, ARC-1s to customers. That's incredible speed for a hardware company. And it really speaks to the engineering team that we have and this kind of first principles approach that you know we bring from SpaceX and Tesla to be able to execute that quickly. Lior, you've put a lot of dollars into real-world startups, companies that actually make stuff. But, but it was interesting to note the expansion of U.S. manufacturing here and not going overseas. What do you make of that, Lior? And I think... Um there is a new industrial renaissance in this country. We, I just came back from Washington, D.C. two weeks ago. Uh, the government is very serious um, to help this country build again. I think we're understanding um, what that means from a geopolitics point of view. And the needs to secure and resilience our supply chain and manufacturing. And that's mean building companies like ArcSeal locally. Uh, when you're putting on top of it automation and software, the other two biggest movers that we are seeing in physical industries, you now can build uh, the most sophisticated boat in Los Angeles uh, that will be just not something you could do before. Um, and it's very exciting because I think we are seeing companies like Tesla and SpaceX and ARC and others uh, build, building a new industrial regime here in this country. Ryan, therefore... What is the headache for you as you want to take on this money to accelerate in a big way? Is it supply chain that remains a concern? Is it talent pool? What is it that hinders you, if at all? Yeah, 
it's um it's probably a combination of both of those um, you know talent is really the most important talent is what lets you you know accelerate move quickly we invest a lot in our people we have a great engineering team with a great background from you know Tesla Rivian SpaceX all those all those companies um, the supply chain is definitely top of mind as well. That's actually where Eclipse is incredibly helpful. They have a great portfolio of companies. They have a lot of experience operating in the hardware space. Um, our main focus, though, is really just execution on production ramp. Uh, anyone who's started a hardware company knows trying to scale production is the hardest possible thing. Mm -hmm. Building one of something is easy. Building hundreds, thousands of something is incredibly difficult. Um, so that's really, you know, the next year, two years, be our entire focus is building the production line itself. Well, here's hoping you don't have to sleep there too much as, well, <laughs> Elon did. Arc CTO, co-founder, Ryan Cook, great to have some time with you, and Eclipse founder and managing partner, Neil Susan. Thank you very much. Now look, all eyes are going to be trained on the Meta Connect event, which is slated to start relatively shortly, about half an hour's time. But we've got to touch on the news out of Snap. The company closing a division focused on making augmented reality services for businesses, pulling the plug on its latest attempt to just try and diversify this business. Mandeep Singh, I'm pleased to say, can cover both of these key companies, Bloomberg Intelligence. And you already wrote to react to what was a great piece coming out of our own Alex Barinka. What do you make of really the decision, quite hard-nosed decision here, to just pull the plug? I think in case of all these companies that are relying on, you know, hyperscalers to give them the cloud capacity, I mean, look, investing in generative AI isn't cheap. And that's what every small company is realizing. It's hitting their gross margin. In the case of Snap, clearly they have a problem with top-line growth. And uh, I think AR, even though it was touted as the next big thing a couple of years back, clearly isn't the thing that investors are focused on. They're more focused on generative AI. And and uh, that's why they're trying to cut their costs here. And look, Snap, compared to their peers, has a very high R&D intensity. It's about 40%. So compare that to all their peers, that's more 20 to 25% is more the norm. So I'm not surprised they're cutting uh, that line. Uh, Mandy, Meta Connect and the keynote from Zuck coming up shortly. What's the AI story that you want to hear from Meta? Yeah, look, I, I think we have seen a clear strategy from Microsoft using co-pilots to monetize Gen AI as well as the cloud capacity. Same thing with Google, you know, monetizing cloud and then they're launching uh, co-pilots, do it, and uh, also they're integrating it in search. In the case of Meta, yes, they have a large language model. They have open sourced it, but we still don't know how they are going to monetize it. And a lot of the GPU capacity that they are buying, it's more for internal use. Yes, it will help with ad targeting, but I, I think investors are more focused on external forms of monetization, and that's fair. If they can integrate their uh, you know, large language model and build an ecosystem that's uh, tied to the API, uh, I, I think that would be huge in terms of monetization. We'll see how that all unfolds and also those agent bots, chat bots, and how all the different variations are discussed. Mandeep Singh, Bloomberg Technology, we'll let him get back to get ready for the MetaConnect event. Meanwhile, now that is it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology today, Ed. Yeah, so much to recap. There will be people out there that are excited about AR, VR headsets. Recap yeah. our discussion on that on the podcast, Apple, Spotify, and iHeart. Of course, it's on all the Bloomberg platforms as well. Big show coming up in 24 hours' time. From SF in New York, this is Bloomberg Technology.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.